You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hey, guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun, too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere, and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Curtain up, theater people. Welcome to your program as your ticket. Coming to you from the Hell's Kitchen area of Midtown Manhattan, right in the middle of Broadway. My name is Sean Chandler, and I'll be your host. Your program is your ticket is a discussion of smaller theater works and the people and organizations that make it happen. Little sidebar here, we are in a rehearsal studio, and it's actually a complex of studios, so you may hear people singing, may hear people singing stuff from like Les Mis or a chorus line or waitress or something like that, or, or you know, performing a scene or something. So a little added extra entertainment for your pleasure. Now, as many of you know, your program is your ticket is a helpful system where your program is literally your ticket to get into the theater and smaller, more intimate productions. It's these works we like to highlight, and it's our goal on this show to feature as many of these productions as possible while still discussing the biggies. I love theater and see as much as I can wherever I go. During the travels of the production of My Husband and My Play at The Flash, I've met many wonderful people from all over the world in the theater community, and it is my honor to bring them on as guests to the show. Tonight's guests are the dynamically talented duo of Molly Clifford and Lily Riopelle. I got your name right, didn't I, Lily? Riopelle. Riopelle, okay, perfect. <laughs> they are the co-artistic directors of Two-Headed Rap, the New York-based theater company that produces new plays and repertory with the classic plays that inspire them, and does so by creating a space in which the old and the new exist side by side. How cool is that? I love that type of repertory theater. Now, before I bring the ladies on, I thought I'd talk a little bit about repertory theater. Kind of give it a little bit of a definition rundown. Um, the dictionary definition is, this is from the dictionary, obviously, a type of theatrical presentation in which a company presents several works regularly or in alternate sequence in one season. Now, an old school interpretation of repertory would be this. It's considered Western theater or opera, uh, production in which a resident company uh, presents works from a specified repertoire, usually in alternation or rotation. Now, it used to be that small towns would support the resident repertory company who would present a different play every week. Wouldn't that be great, ladies, if oh the town God. supported it? I know. <laughs> I know. We got, that eases the pressure of raising so much money, right? <laughs> Um, they, would, they would either do a revival from a full range of classics or, if given a chance, a new play once the rights had been released after a West End or Broadway run. Um, the acting company uh, would usually consist of, of a stock of performers, usually a leading lady, a leading man, a set of juveniles, one male, one female ingenue for the young, often romantic roles, a character actor and actress for the older, more eccentric parts, and perhaps a vain and girlish type. Now, that's, that's from Wikipedia right there. I didn't, I didn't say that. Um, now, 
Some updated interpretations would include a style of touring repertory theater known as bus and truck, which involves transporting the actors and sets for about five different plays, which can be performed in smaller communities on consecutive nights. I can't imagine keeping one play in my brain, much less five. That's crazy. That's, that's actor commitment. Now, one of my favorite styles of repertory theater is done by my guests on today's show. Um, they, they take two similar plays with different themes and often written in very different times and run them in rotation with each other. Now, I first experienced this back in 1986 at what was called the Doolittle Theater, and now is called the Ricardo Montalban Theater. You remember him from Fantasy Island. Well, he did more before that. Um, and, I, and by the way, I drove up. You probably won't remember this, but I drove a Chrysler Cordoba with rich Corinthian leather. I really did. And you're like, what are you talking about? Um, I've seen the opening for that. Have you? I've seen, yeah, my parents at one point, like, they made me watch. They were like, oh my God, Molly, Fantasy Island, you've got to watch the little... <laughs> Uh, I have no idea. Well, the intro was remarkable for well, some reason. Well, thank you. Thank you very much. Well, um, at the Dooley Little Theater in L.A., now the Wong Theater, they did, they did this particular uh, style of theater where they ran The Real Thing by Tom Stoppard, which was when it first came out. Remember, this is 86, before either one of you were even born. Um, <laughs> and they ran it along with Hedda Gabler by Ibsen, translated by Christopher Hampton. And I don't know if you know this, but he translates everything. But... Anyways, the, the two plays are about power and relationships, and it was really cool to watch this classic play and also this modern play. And that's what's so neat about these two ladies that are bringing onto the show, because not only do, do they do that, but they do it with a little twist in that, well, I'm just gonna let them tell you about it. You know what twist I'm talking about, right? Of course you do. <laughs> Hi, ladies. Um, welcome to your program is your ticket, uh, Molly Clifford and Lily Riopal. Thanks. Well done. Hi. Thank you. Hi. <laughs> Hi. It's, it's, it's a pleasure to have you on. Now, you are both co-artistic directors of Two-Headed Rap, right? Yes. yes. Okay, so tell us all about Two-Headed Rap. So Two-Headed Rap is a theater company that twice a year picks a play from the canon gives that play to an emerging playwright and commissions that playwright to write a brand new play in response to the old play. They can draw on anything, the themes, the characters, the form or structure, um, and use whatever that element or set of elements is to inspire them to write something brand new. That is so cool. That, and that's the twist I'm talking about because usually when they're doing that style of repertory theater that I, that I was referencing in my opening uh, remarks, it's usually... Uh, plays that have already been written yeah. and they're sort of like an examination and contrasting analysis with each other. Yeah. But you actually find a playwright and you commission them to write a play, which is so cool because you're supporting new artists. Yeah. And that's 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 so amazing. Talk about that a little bit. Lily and I have a lot of friends who are all playwrights. <laughs> um, and 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 we love them and we wanted to see their work get up on their feet faster. Sure. Um, I think we saw a lot of them like developing work for a very long time and not really seeing any of it on its feet. Right. So part of the inspiration for this was sort of giving writers the opportunity to like, every time we do a rep, we take six months to do it. So these writers are being commissioned to write a play and then seeing it put up in the span of six months, right. which is bonkers. <laughs> it's really fast. And they would say the same thing. Oh, sure. Um, 
but we felt like it was exciting to be able to present them with that opportunity and we've had so much fun working with them on new plays that's that's terrific now talk about the two plays that you're producing right now for two headed rap so this fall uh we're doing a brand new adaptation of miss julie uh, august Strindberg's miss julie which is being co-adapted by three writers Brittany allen will arbery and amanda keating um, each of whom is translating slash adapting one of the characters in Strindberg's play, um, along with a brand new play called Reno and Mall, which is by a writer named Emma Horwitz. Wow, now that's, that's really cool. Now, I'm actually very curious about this adaptation of Miss Julie written by three <laughs> different people, and you say each person is in charge of one specific character? Yeah, they're each translate or translating slash adapting one character, and we sort of all got together at the beginning and we talked about what world we wanted it to be in and how to bring this play that feels so locked in the social rigidity of the 19th century oh, sure. and how you bring that to the 21st century. Um, and so that was a big piece of the initial conversation. And then once we had decided, uh, we've decided to set it in the break room of a fast food franchise. Oh, no way. I love it. <laughs> I do too. You should see the logo that we've created for Counts. It's amazing. Oh my gosh. It's um, cool. It is cool. Uh, but it was sort of fascinating for me to just get to watch these three writers essentially talk to each other. They all got together in a Google document and they went through Strindberg's Miss Julie and they adapted it and they adapted all these characters, but they're talking to each other in a Google document. It was amazing. <laughs> it was like my own like special perfect little play that only I got to watch. <laughs> yeah, um, is brilliant. It's really cool. It's been a lot of fun. I think it's also... Uh, it's like posed some real hardships. We've like sort of encountered things along the way and been like, God, we didn't realize this would be a problem. It was like there was no one looking at the overarching arc of the play. And we, were, we had a moment where we were like, okay, we got to all do that now. <laughs> well, yeah. Typically, I would think that somebody would fall into a leadership role yeah. in, in, in guiding the play. Because I, I do a lot of co-writing myself on my projects, and somebody always sort of has to take the lead. Yes. Now, who, who, who took the lead? that straw? <laughs> I would say that uh, Amanda Keating, who's translating the role, or translating and adapting, I'm terrible at transladapting, as we would say, uh, uh, the role of Christine. Trademark, trademark, sorry. <laughs> I, I should credit it. Brittany Allen actually wrote that first. I should give her credit. Transladapting? Uh, transladapting. Oh, that's great. <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, and Amanda's translating the role of, or transadapting, oh God, uh, the role of Christine, which means that she sort of drops in and out of the play more often. Uh -huh. The other two characters are like on stage the whole uh -huh. time. They are like really perma there and like very in it. Sure, yeah. Um, and so she had the ability to pull back a little bit oh, okay. and look at the larger picture. Sure. Um, and she's also our literary manager. Uh, Perfect. I, yeah, yes. she's amazing. She's brilliant. Um, she's a great playwright, like, of her own accord, but she's also a really incredible literary manager and dramaturg, and she's translated works for us in the past, and she has a really useful sense of what a play is trying to accomplish. Uh-huh. Uh, and a very refined eye when it comes to 
action and moments and dramaturgical accuracy. Wow. Yeah. Now, how did the other two writers take to that? Were they okay with it? I think they were okay with it. Neither of them has ever told me that they weren't. (laughs) Well, no, I would think Um, that they, I mean, it sort of balances out the, the time commitment. And yes. the responsibility can yes. right? Yes. It feels like. So one person writes one line, and then the other writer comes in and looks at that line and then writes a line in response to it. Yeah. Oh, that's And then you're doing this with also with a new play called Reno and Mall, right? Yes, now, Reno tell, and Mall. Tell me about that play. So Reno and Mall is a play about actors on long-running TV shows. Um, and it's about sort of the toll <laughs> that playing a role for years and years and years on end uh-huh. takes on you as a person in your real life in the real world. Um, and structurally, the play is fascinating. It jumps back and forth between these TV shows that these women are on and their sort of mundane getting-to-know-you conversations in the green room. And so we track uh, their sort of growing relationship with one another partly through the stuff that we see them say to each other as themselves and partly in their performances on their respective shows and the show that they are now appearing on together. Wow, so you have a green room at, in a TV at studio. At Studios. And, and then you have a break room <laughs> in a fast food restaurant. Yes. And that, that's your comparison. That's, that's, that's amazing. Yeah. That's, that is so, so cool. Now, tell us... What can the audience expect from the experience? What is the experience like? Are they seeing both shows in one day? Are they in different theaters? How's that working? So the two plays happen in the same theater um, on basically the same set with some little details swapped out. Um, And this time, for the first time ever, it's really a choose-your-own-adventure in terms of how you'd like to experience the plays. We always do both plays uh, in a row. We sometimes do the new play first. We sometimes do the old play first. Um, and you can either see them both in one night or you can choose to buy your tickets for separate nights. It costs you the same either way. Um, you know, we are rather fond of the marathon experience, <laughs> um, but we recognize that that can be a little difficult for some people. So we're trying to give people more flexibility in terms of how much time they want between seeing the plays and how long they want to be in the theater on any one night. Wow. So when you go on to the ticket purchasing website, you have all of the options there for, for how they want to see the show. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay. That's So I would think that that would just have to do with, you know, time constraints, kids, babysitters. Yes. Um, attention <laughs> totally. span. Totally. Oh, my God. Yeah. And of a long day of work, do you want to sit through three hours of theater? Maybe not. <laughs> that's fair, too. Sure. I mean, yeah. I mean, and so you have the opportunity to, to go. Now, can they buy the shows individually, or do they come as a package? They can buy them individually, but we really do believe uh, that they're best consumed together. Like, sure. they obviously both, you know, Miss Julie obviously stands on its own as a play, which is why it's famous, and you may have already heard of it. Um, <laughs> Reno and Mall, I can assure you, though you have not already seen it, very much stands on its own. Yeah. But... When you see them together, I think you get a better sense of the larger ideas that we're examining as a company. Um, And so that's why we recommend you do it that way. You know, we give you a chance to really reflect on some meaty content um, from many different angles, which is not necessarily something you get when you see only one of the plays. Right. Well, I think what what I was uh, gearing towards there is, is... Like, if you want to see one of the plays one week, and then maybe a week or two later, totally. you can book a, a, the other play. Oh, yes, yeah, absolutely. Oh, okay, cool. All right, great. That's that's outstanding. Now, 
How are rehearsals going? Are you in rehearsals now? We are. We're very much in rehearsals. We've okay. gone to tech in like little over a week. Okay, one of you's directing. Remind me who's directing. We actually both direct. You're both directing. Every, we're both directors. We both direct every rep, and yes. every time Molly and I switch which one of us is doing the new play and which one of us is doing the old play. So this time Molly is directing the old play. She's doing Miss Julie, oh, and yeah. I'm doing Reno and Mall. Yes, I see it here. My apologies, ladies. No, that's fine. Wow, no, no. We are the repping company of two-headed <laughs> rap. <laughs> um, it's it, it's great to have you on the show to explain it, to, yeah. to talk about, sort of break down what you do and what your mission statement is. Now, as directors, do you visit each other's work from time to time? Do you talk about it, or is it like... It's oh my god, we talk about it incessantly. It's would, just all we talk about. <laughs> yeah, it's, you know, it's funny because Molly and I, in addition to running a company together, are very, very, very close friends. And this thing always happens about a week into the rep, and we're always surprised by it, where we're like, oh my god, we haven't talked to each other just about our lives <laughs> oh, yeah. in a month. And then we have to, you know, set a separate date for just french fries and, like, talking about our lives. Which we're not totally successful <laughs> at. Usually it kind of, de- like, devolves into work talk. Wow. Okay. Yeah, now... But I'm like, do I need to bring my laptop to our date? Is this a work date or is this a play date? Like, I need... I feel like sometimes I'm like, I need to know which it's going to be. <laughs> well, a good deal of the time I work with my husband and he pretty much calls the shots. Yeah. So I, I do whatever he tells me to do. <laughs> it sounds like you guys have a really good and equal power dynamic. I'm just, yeah. I was just wondering if like, if there were rules about like, like you, you don't see my show until it's done. You don't see my show until it's done. And then we see how they compare and contrast. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Um, I would say we've never established rules like yeah. that. Um, there are parts of every rep that we're very much in communication about how these plays resonate with one another. Right. And then despite our best efforts to totally have a grasp on how it is that they relate, we get into tech and realize that there are moments in the plays that the way that rehearsal has led them to be staged feel completely in communication with one another in a way that nobody could have planned or should have planned. That that's one of the delights of producing this way is like Mm -hmm. there's always sort of a late-breaking surprise about how the plays are talking to each other. Wow, that's that's great. And do you find certain things out as you roll out performances as well? You know, a lot of things will surface in performance. Definitely. And you're like, oh my god, I didn't didn't even really see that. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, This play is funny? What? Yeah, and, and well, I think that every every comedy should have a little bit of drama, and vice versa. So, yeah. And oftentimes, when I'm writing, I don't know if you ladies do a lot of writing, but I'll write something, and all of a sudden, it'll be like, I'll take it to writers' group, or I'll put it up, and it'll be like, oh my god, that was funny. Yeah. I didn't intend for that to be funny. I think <laughs> it's 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 
it's really cool when you have surprises like that. Yeah. I think a lot of the time we get that extra information from our audiences who come see it, too. It's sure. like Lily and I have, like, established such a way of thinking about these two pieces in relationship to each other that all of a sudden this wave of new people come in. And we sort of experience this also with our designers when they sort of enter the process. Wow. That they're like, oh, I've seen this thing, and I've seen this thing in the plays, and, like, those two things connect. And we're like, oh, my God. I know. <laughs> like, who knew? <laughs> exactly. Yeah, I did. It's that's one of the the miraculous things about working in live theater. Yeah, is when those little surprises happen and, and and take you back. Or I'll be like reading. I'll have actors reading a script and they'll read a line completely different from yeah. the way that I intended it to be. Of and so, which is one of the reasons why it's good to have script development and uh, yeah. writers groups and read throughs. Do you, do you have a lot of uh, like table reads and things like that as you're going through the process? We try to have as yeah. many as possible, essentially. Yeah, <laughs> we, we always try to hear the play out loud at least once, hopefully a couple times sure. before we actually get into the room with actors. Um, we've mm -hmm. played with a number of different development models in the past. We've done, you know, actually taking sort of 10 pages of one play and 10 pages of the other and hearing them both out loud and having a sort of miniature experience of how the plays relate just through moments, through fragments, which has also been really productive in the past. Yeah. Um, we're still sort of learning how to develop on such a short time frame because it is relatively unprecedented in in New York theater, certainly. Oh, yeah. most definitely. I think it's 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 difficult work. It's 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 taking you're sort of breaking the mold with yeah. this, Thanks. and and I think that that's cool. Abs no, I, I, I think it's absolutely incredible. Now I'm trying to find your um, your schedule here. Now, how long have, have you had the company open? We formed Two-Headed Rep on January 1st, 2016 at the Two Boots in the West Village. This was a New Year's resolution that stuck. <laughs> yeah. Perhaps the only one from that year, definitely. <laughs> Maybe from all years. <laughs> oh, no. Um, I don't do well with that. We had our first public performance on April 1st of that year, so a four-month turnaround. Mm -hmm. um, we like to have a sort of April Fool's Day birthday party is a, a recent tradition that we've developed. <laughs> um, yeah, so it hasn't been quite two years yet. Well, I see see here that in April of 2017, you have on your, your docket here, Restaurant Indie Major being performed with Lissa Strada. Yeah, yeah, that was last spring. Okay, yeah. so you've done that. And mm -hmm. you also have Don't Make Yourself Crazy with Tartuffe that you did um, uh, last October. Yes. <laughs> and then you also have <laughs> Retreat and Electra in April of 2016. Yeah, that yeah. was the inaugural. So if you do the math, <laughs> you'll see that we produce a lot of plays a lot. <laughs> you do. I mean, that's like eight plays yeah. essentially in two years with this new formula. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> it's oh very God. validating. No yeah. I wonder why, like, all you ever talk about is is the company because you got to keep it going. Yeah. Yeah, we sort of have this, like, illusion that there's, like, a sort of a dark, sort of dark months between plays, but that's actually it's just not totally true. fake. It's like <laughs> as soon as we wrap, you know, we're sort of in talks now for, like, where, where our spring plays are going to be produced and what our spring plays are going to be in. We're also going into tech for this set of plays. So it's sort of a... a and that's early planning for us. Yeah. That's, like, ahead of the game. <laughs> so, yeah, there is no real downtime. Now... Uh, one of my co-writers, I write, I write musicals, and my mm -hmm. co-writer who I work with on my musicals, 
when we sort of like finish our phase of a project, he gets like really depressed and he doesn't know what to do. Yeah. Does that ever happen to you too? Well, no, because we're doing the lost? next project already. Oh, okay. Right. Yeah. That's actually why we structure yeah. our lives this way is to just prevent us from ever being able to fall into a dark hole of questioning this of way of yeah. life. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, and, and when we sat down, I, th- I don't remember if we decided this before we did the first rep or after we did the first rep, but we were like, we're going to do this every six months. I think we decided before. Really? I think we did. Bonkers. Yeah. Uh, Crazy people. That's... But... Because how could you know? Right. Right. And Lily and I have both had moments where we're like, I I just don't think I can do the next one. Where you'll be like three months out and you're like, I just, I don't know. Lily was at Williamstown over the spring and she was like, I just don't know if I can go to Williamstown and come back and immediately do a play. play." (laughs) And and I was like, well, we got it. (laughs) Every six months. Um, so we've sort of continued along that pattern of like having to bolster each other in those yeah. moments. And it's not a play. It's, it's two, two plays. plays. But that's also the great, you know, I think the reason we felt so confident that we could come out of the gate and say every six months is like, it's a very clear formula. Yeah. So even though the content is different every time, you know, the, the content of the old play and the style of the old play very much sets the tone for like where we're going to go with the new play and how, sure. how the evening is going to feel and like what the, what it's going to look like to be in that theater for a couple of weeks. But because the, you know, because the formula is so clear, um, it's like whatever else is going on in our, in our life as a company, we can like look at that and say, that's a really clear place to start. It's like just the math of like one old play plus one new play plus yeah. a theater and we're good. Plus a new play, right? Well, yes. Plus now are all of your old plays, are they all translated so far, yeah. We're not committed to that on principle, but on you know, it's fun to involve other writers. Oh yeah. And absolutely. so something that needs to be translated and asks for another writer is helpful in that way. Um, but yeah, we're not committed to that on principle. That's just been how it's how it's happened so, so far. Not not that you need it, but you have like my validity to you as a writer, <laughs> one million percent. <laughs> Thank and you. That's, that's it's just it's just so amazing because it takes so long and it takes that like just that one break mm-hmm. of one or two people believing in what you've done yeah and um so it's it's that in itself is something that you both should pat each other on the back for <laughs> <laughs> i wanted them to do that <laughs> they did exactly what you thought <laughs> well let's talk about uh, you two individually. Oh no! Uh, tell, tell me a little <laughs> bit about yourselves and your creative theater passion and how it all evolved. And oh man, who's gonna go first? I think you should. Okay. <laughs> I don't want to go first. Creative theater passion evolved. This is Lily. This is me. It's Lily. Um, you know, I think the honest answer to this question is like. I fancied myself a sporty kid and then I had a pretty bad injury and had to sort of stop playing sports and think about what I was doing with my life. And um, at the time that this happened, I was in middle school and I was spending a lot of time at the Barnes & Noble on the Upper West Side. Um, And I just started to read my way through the theater section there and became like, I had never really thought about plays as being these like literary documents that aren't really literary documents. It's like there's all of these missing ingredients. And so I just became kind of obsessed with plays. Um, and I wasn't a very good actor, and I knew that because my younger brother was a very good actor. <laughs> and so watching the way that people sort of, like, responded to him, I was like, hmm, 
maybe I'm not an actor um, and decided stubbornly and before I really knew what it meant at the age of like 13 that I was definitely a director um, and because I'm stubborn, I never let anybody tell me otherwise. And I, and I just knew that that's what I was going to do. So um, I started directing plays as soon as anybody would let me. And which was when? Which was the first time I ever directed like a short play. I was like 16 years old and it was at a summer internship. And I was directing these actors who were like grown adults. Um, and I just thought it was the coolest thing in the world. that They like listened to me and did what I wanted and that the play was good and people laughed. Um, the first time I ever directed a long play was, you know, my senior year of high school, and then I just never stopped. What was the long play that you directed? It was Stop Kiss by Diana Sun. I have never heard of that play. Oh, it's a great oh, it's play. Bad. Yeah. But I am significantly older than both of you. So if it was a newer play, then that, that might be. Yeah. <laughs> and and, and you, so you were directing, at that point, mm-hmm. you were directing... A play in school called yeah. Stop Kiss. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was directing like my peers. Okay. Yeah, yeah. And right. so, you know, I obviously, as people do, continued to direct my peers through school and then college like spat me out into the world. And I, <laughs> and I had sort of a crisis of like, how do I do this thing that I love to do in the real world? And I was very lucky to have uh, dear friends, including Molly, who were sort of, we were all doing the same thing of like, how do I be a director in the world? Um, and, you know, bit by bit, you start to scrape together a life at this. You really, I mean, really the way it goes is you make good friends who are also making theater, and then eventually they get a little more professional clout, and you get a little more professional clout, and soon you're all professionals. <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> totally, totally. Yeah. Wow. Okay, yeah. great. And Molly, what about you? Um, I... I, I mean, I grew up a theater kid. I had no inclination towards sports whatsoever. We learned very, very early. Um, <laughs> and, uh, Was so, your family in theater? No, but my parents both loved musicals. Mm. So, like, I went, I went to see theater. They loved taking me to theater. Um, we played lots of musicals in the house. Like, my brother could do the entirety of the witch's rap from Into the Woods by the time he was six years old. Like, we, it was, you know, we were freaks. It was weird. I could barely have <laughs> my shoes at six years old. My brother was extraordinary, is extraordinary. Um, uh, he has since escaped theater, so good for him. Oh, wow. Um, but I sort of grew up in a household that, like, really loved it and encouraged okay. it. Uh, and I acted all through middle school and high school and in camp plays. And I, you know, uh, I loved to sing, so I did a lot of musicals. And then my, this is how I became a director, I guess. Not specifically about how I got into theater. But uh, my senior year, I really wanted to be the lead in the musical. And I didn't get cast as it. Aww. And I was, I mean, it's... It is actually great in retrospect, but I was a little bit of a brat about it, to be entirely honest, I think. I think I felt, like, wounded. I think I felt like I'd given so much to, you know, my high school theater department and to be just rejected like this was devastating. But I essentially went to the director of the musical, and I was like... (laughs) What was the musical? Uh, uh, Crazy for You. Okay, that one I know. Yes. I mean, beautiful music, incredible dancing. I was not a good dancer. It was like, it made sense. In all my adult retrospect, it made sense. Yes, but in your teenage mind, there was no sense. But I like went, I I don't remember this exactly. I think I like trauma blacked out. Um, But I like went into this high school director's office and I was like, (laughs) and she was like, Molly, you're too controlling. You should try directing. And I was like, okay, watch me. And I like directed a semi-illegal production of Hair my senior year, which I also starred in. (laughs) 
That's one of the great things about being a director. No, it really wasn't. I mean, I think I got I got to the end and I was like, oh crap, I want to like watch the thing. I don't want to have to do it. Oh, okay. So, but it was all for the best. And I showed up at college and I was like, I'm a director. So it was great. Mm-hmm. It worked out. Were they okay with that statement in college? Or, oh, yeah. Because yeah. you hear so many college stories about acting and directing. Now, I, I did not go to college for theater, so... Oh, good for you. I, have, no, I, I always have to cop to that, but this, this, I hear horror stories about you get in and someone's telling you, you know, of, of this class of 50, five of you will graduate, and we're going to tear you down and build oh, you back up. Oh, I went to liberal arts college. Oh, okay. It was none of that. We were we were just all happy. We like rolled in piles together. It was fun. Wow. Okay. <laughs> it was like a you know. Okay. Well, I'm glad to hear that because sometimes yeah. I'm mad at these teachers. You had to wait for the world things. to crush your ego. Exactly. <laughs> I had to wait. Well, I had to wait for Lily and I met at the O'Neill Theater Center doing one of their training programs, um, and that's where my spirit was originally crushed in like the best way possible that I could have asked for. <laughs> I think I think I've like rendered you speechless. <laughs> no, I'm just I'm just wondering if I should ask you how. Oh, I think how was your spirit crushed? You know, I think for a lot of my life, I felt like I was really good at the thing, and I knew what I was doing. And I got there, and it was the first time I think someone had really said to me like, "You're mediocre. You're not working as hard as you should be." Um, like, you're not enough yet. You can do more. Oh, okay. Uh, and I actually think being told that I, and, like, no one explicitly said that to me. I feel like I just, like, made it sound like I, like, sat at the end of a long table and someone, like, pointed their finger at me, which is <laughs> not at all what happened. Um, but it felt like a place I was really challenged by my peers and I was challenged by my professors and my boundaries were pushed. And it was great. It was also the first place that, like, it was certainly the first place that I made another director friend. Molly and I were the only two directors in this program, and so it was the first time, you know, I was going through a similar spirit-crushing moment of personal growth where I was having to sort of learn my own strengths and weaknesses and figure out what I wanted to learn how to do better, and which was basically everything. Um, But to have another director to be able to go to at the end of the day and talk through, like, what we were what we were doing and where we were headed was like so so profoundly um, fulfilling actually and I you know that's how we became friends I think was bonding over all of that yeah <laughs> and then it evolved this great thing where yeah. you, you put your heads together and said what can we do that's different and new it reminds me a lot of uh, this story that I heard on um, I think it was the 80s channel on Sirius mm-hmm. and um, you, know, you re- may remember VJs from MTV, or maybe no. not. They actually had people who, well, back in when MTV had video, oh, video jockeys, video jockeys, gotcha, yeah, gotcha. They actually had people who would be on TV, and they would yeah. say, "Okay, this next video is you know John Cougar Mellencamp or or, uh, or whoever." The and, dream. Oh, right. <laughs> I, I I really love the eighties. <laughs> well, there was this there was this VJ on there. Her name was Nita Blackwood. Mm-hmm. And she spoke like she smoked three packs of cigarettes a day. I mean, it was like, uh-huh. And she talked about this interview where she went and she met with Cindy Lauper. Uh-huh. As you know, Cindy Lauper wrote the music and lyrics for Kinky Boots. Yes. Won Tony Awards. I think it won a Grammy Award, if I'm not mistaken. I don't, don't quote me on that. But <laughs> she said, you know, Cindy, why did you do this? 
and she said that Cindy Lauper looked at her and said, sometimes you have to diversify in this business. <laughs> and I think that's so right. I think you have to find something that other people aren't necessarily focusing on and do that. Totally, and, and, yeah. and, and, and I think the key thing is the love that's associated with it. And it feels like that's what you've done. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I think we both really love it. I think the other, you know, when you say diversify, it also just makes me, New York is like such a new play town. Um, and also there's a really strong community of people who love classics and there just are not that many institutions that are doing a sort of like thoughtful cross-pollination of those two communities. Yeah. And it's kind of silly that they're so distinct because ultimately it's all storytelling and it's all live performance and it's all theater. And you think that we could all go like that people would just want to see all of it, but, but it, they do feel like really distinct communities in New York. So one of the great joys for me has been like watching the way that people who generally would only see an old play react to a brand new play that's doing things they've never seen before or vice versa. Somebody who's really a new play yeah. person finding something new to love about Tartuffe or Lysistrata and um, these old plays. Um, yeah, it's been really exciting to see the kind of community that that actually makes, you know, when we get into performances to see these people like talking to each other. It's really fun. That's excellent. Uh, let's talk a little bit about about theater in general. Yeah. Um, what do you think is an important direction theater overall is taking right now? Oh man. From what you've seen, um, you know what people are talking to you about, new new and exciting directions. Oh, that feels like a very question. overwhelming question. Um, <laughs> I mean, I think theater is looking to expand its horizons, which feels exciting to me. Um, How so? I think it feels like we're trying to include stories that haven't been included in the past. I think it feels like we're trying to include artists who haven't been included in the past. Uh, and that there is like a conscious effort towards that now more than be ever before seems important, and there's still a ways to go. But um, I think that sort of ethos feels important right now. Excellent, yeah. really. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think I'm excited about some of the things that I've seen recently that feel like they're embracing, and this is funny for an exciting new direction, but but coming out of sort of decades of like the mega musical spectacular, which mm -hmm. is like conditioned audiences to expect theater to look a certain way yeah. with a certain level of visual um, embellishment. I've been really excited in the past several years to see a lot of theater that feels like it is putting forth like a simpler, more metaphorical aesthetic, like something that leaves space for an audience's imagination. Um, because that feels to me like the promise of theater as opposed to film or TV is that like we can't put the whole thing in there really. So you have to, you know, you have to come to the theater ready to fill in the gaps yourself. And so, um, you know, I think certain institutions are putting more uh, more of their resources behind that kind of work, and that is exciting to me. Um, are there any particular shows that you're that you're thinking of as you're talking about this that are on your radar that you feel exemplify this new vision or direction of theater? I mean, I can't remember the last play I saw right now. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> actually, I can, and it was Hello Dolly. <laughs> oh, I love Hello Dolly. Talk about minimalism. I know, right? <laughs> Only 27 yeah. parasols. <laughs> Stripped down from the original 45. I know. I mean, I think we, like, I think about something like an Octoroon that feels like yeah. it just, like, took over the world very quickly. It, like, all of a sudden it was just, like, the piece of theater that everyone needed to see. And that is actually, it sort of exemplifies both I of these things. Does. In yeah. that it's, like, 
incredibly theatrical and it really embraces the thing that only theater can do for an audience. Um, and also is telling a story about someone that we didn't necessarily hear about before. This is the Octoroon? An Octoroon. An Octoroon. I, yeah. I'm sorry. I've, the, I've, I've, I believe the Octoroon is the original play that Brett yes. Dickens Jenkins was writing in response to. Oh, okay. Aha! Uh-huh. Yeah. Maybe, maybe he'll do our next season. <laughs> <laughs> if you're listening. <laughs> so, so an octoroon. Yeah. That feels like a strong just, example. Yeah, I think Molly's example actually really does exemplify both. Yeah, I'm going to stick with Molly's answer. I'm going to okay. lean on my co-AD. <laughs> All right, well, that's, that's fine. <laughs> um, I'm trying to think of other things that feel like they hit both, actually. Is an octoroon, is that a play, or is it a musical? Or it's a play. There's a play. music in it, though. Okay, yeah. play with I mean, music. I think also about I don't know something if it would like, be qualified as that. I think also, like, something about the Moors. Something yeah. like the Moors, which I saw recently, Jen Silverman's play. Um, when was that? Was that last spring already? Or the winter? Oh, my gosh. That was a long time ago. Um, We've lost track of another, You know, that was another play where, like, a character, uh, an actor played uh, several sort of like roles and the and the way that she switched between them was just in a very sort of straightforward way like putting on a hat taking off a hat with no like fanfare or sort of like mystery around how that transformation happened um and that that to me is like a really clear example of a gesture that like uh recognizes that like the audience all along is smart enough to sort of see what we're doing and so we might as well just like be open and upfront with them about it instead right. of sort of, you know, using all of our money with like, for like smoke and mirrors, you know, how did Elphaba get up there and start flying? Like, I don't know. Is that really the most interesting thing about the moment? That I don't know. Maybe it is. is. <laughs> I'm interested in knowing. <laughs> right. Exactly. I will never totally. stop trying to figure out how the Phantom of the Opera gets off stage during that moment when he like disappears. I think I right. saw this when I was eight years old and to this day it haunts me, but I don't know. And I think there's a time and place for theater that's where the, the magic is, is of that variety of the, of the variety that literally could also appear on a Vegas stage with like a famous magician but um, but I'm rather fond of the kind of magic where you actually see how it's all put together and it still feels magical yeah so so in essence you're what you're talking about is what you were talking about before mm-hmm. theater that trusts the audience to fill in the blanks now totally. that in my opinion requires excellent writing and direction totally so that Please. you're doing that and it, but <laughs> but that is in my opinion also the most magical writing yeah because the audience is stopping thinking about how Elsa is getting up there although I think that's the best act one <laughs> show ever in my life I'm a total life I'm like Okay, let's face it. I have the theatrical tastes of a 13-year-old girl. Who doesn't, though? Yeah. And, 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 and I know how she gets up there anyways. <gasps> You'll have to tell us how. <laughs> doesn't she get lifted by an arm behind her? She, yeah. She goes Don't back. tell the children. I'm sorry. <laughs> but if someone can tell me about how the Phantom gets off stage, I would like to know that. That I don't know, but I read an article recently that talked about all of the secrets of, like, the Phantom Tour and all like, wow. like they bring in like a buttload of dry ice for oh every performance. Totally. Yeah, it's it's crazy. But Elphaba actually goes back and she gets snapped into like a cherry picker yep. lift and then they just lift her up she's and push her out. And you just don't realize because all she's everything she's wearing is black and so is the cherry picker. <laughs> oh yeah, totally. And one of the things that's interesting, this is totally a sidebar, but since since you brought up Wicked, I'm gonna go ahead and go for it. Is that, <laughs> you know that all of the Elphabas that perform um, they all sort of, they're in this 
group and they ask each other, what's the thing I need to focus on when I'm preparing for this role? Mm -hmm. And they say, focus on standing and singing Defying Gravity with your feet together as if you're locked in a cage. <laughs> and that's, that's like the number one thing. That I know, sounds I know. like my worst nightmare <laughs> for several reasons. Well, I guess, you know, you can't open up and all of that and you're, you know, what, how many feet high? Okay. Yeah. Okay. Very okay. scary. Oh, man. <laughs> To you nicely. Okay. <laughs> um, now, on your program, Mr. Ticket, we focus uh, a lot on smaller productions. Um, what do you think is the best part of being involved with smaller productions? Oh, I love it all. Yeah. I mean, Lily and I have both had the opportunity to work on much larger productions, obviously not directing them ourselves, but as assistant directors. Sure. Um, and one of the things that I love about working in a with a small group of people on something more intimate is that like you really do sort of have your your paws in all of the honey pots. <laughs> um, like I just I feel like there's something so wonderful about being like, hey you scenic designer, I want to help you paint this wall. Um, there's something that's so hands-on about the process. And I actually think that's part of how I learn about how theater should be made. I would say for me, the really exciting thing about producing at the scale that we've been producing is that like we've very tangibly created a community yeah. because you know our we work with a lot of the same people again and again, both as designers and as performers, and so they tend to bring people back from rep to rep, and we've had the great fortune to have like audience members who you know just liked our first set of plays continue to come see everything we do. Yeah. Um, the result has been that there's like actually a really strong community of people who are bonded together by like having had the experience that we're creating for them, um, which I think was something that I didn't fully register until we had like our very first sort of fundraiser special event, yeah. um, which took the normal two-headed rep form and, and put a twist on it. We did a, a series of short plays that we commissioned in response to A Midsummer Night's Dream and produced them along with basically like a spooky adaptation of Midsummer, spooky retelling of the story of Midsummer, um, and we called the whole thing a late summer night's dream. Um, and and because this was sort of like uh, you know, our first big like fundraising party, we got a lot of our usual suspects and then also like a ton of new faces. Mm -hmm. And seeing the way that, that that like a community actually formed in the room that day made me realize that like this two years of, of theater that we've been producing has had the effect of creating friendships and relationships. Um, in a way that just was kind of like amazing to watch. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. It's very cool. That's great. Yeah. Now you you look as if that's like a new realization <laughs> to you. It kind of is. I mean that is that it? was that was early September, so it hasn't yeah. even been two months since we did that big old fundraiser and we're about to go into a time for our next set of plays. <laughs> now is is do you feel it's important to remember things like that? When you're in the weeds of production, and you know, you know, you're on your thirteenth hour of tech, totally. and always the light board has blown, and yeah. you know, the programs aren't ready. And yes. the thing that's amazing right now is that, like, we've worked with a lot of these designers mm -hmm. many times at this point, and so we get to the end of a long day of tech, and like, really, we all just like want to order Chinese food together and like talk to each other like humans, and it's fun. It's oh, like we wow. still really like each other. It's like the day might be hard, but we're still going to get to the end of the day and like like each other. Um, wow, and that feels really exciting. That's yeah. that's great. I know that when uh, my co-writer and I were, were working on a musical, we rarely talked to each other through the whole 
<laughs> you need like, a Google Doc. Well, no, no, we don't. We don't. Google, we do write electronically over instant message and email and stuff. But because he lives in Chicago, but mm-hmm. I think that would be that would just be our particular rule. Rule. But yeah. you guys have found that you, it's more communal. Like, yeah. like nobody's like, I gotta get out of here. I mean, sometimes you feel that. But I feel like usually that happens at like 4.30 and not at the end of the day. Oh. <laughs> it's like everyone hits their breaking point, then you like get over the hump together. Sure. Well, that, yeah. what that means is that you have good morale, which is... We like to think so. I think well, so. Well, I mean, in addition to being artists, you're both leaders. And you have your leaders. We're trying. Well, obviously you're succeeding if you're... If after 14 hours everybody wants to have Chinese food, you know, that's, <laughs> that's a good sign. Um, but but you, you have to be leaders, and leader, leaders are responsible for the morale in addition to uh, the message. And, I mean, there's just so many things that you're doing above and beyond. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Do you, do you feel that you've learned on the fly to be leaders, or do you feel like you're both natural born leaders? I think we, I certainly feel I've learned on the fly. Yeah. Yeah, that nothing could have prepared me for the actual reality of, like, having to make two plays happen every six months. <laughs> yeah. I think no amount of being a natural born leader actually makes you ready for that task. <laughs> so there is a lot of learning on the fly. And we've had, we've had like really incredible support. We work with a literary manager who we talked about before, Amanda Keating, who's right. really amazing and has been a huge support for this company. And we work with an associate producer whose name is Katie Falter and she is an absolute rock star. Um, and they've both really helped support us in the harder times. <laughs> that's, that's terrific. Yeah. Well, yeah. let me let me baseline it for you. Are you the type of person who, when you're in a situation where, like, say you're all with a group of friends, mm-hmm. and everybody's like, where are we going to go out for dinner? And I don't know, and nobody's making a decision. Are you the one to take control of the situation and go, this is what we're going to do, this is how we're going to do it? I feel like 75% of the time that's okay. what I do. Yeah. I, I think I normally... I think I normally wait for a consensus to emerge. Oh. <laughs> well, I'm the vegan, you know? I can't be that's a bad example. I'm just trying to see if you're if you're a take charge people could you both yeah. seem like that. I think I, think I am. Are. Yeah. <laughs> I think I'm a take charge person. I think we ha- I think Molly and I have very different like leadership styles, styles actually, yeah. which is useful in running a company. I don't know how I would necessarily like crystallize what I think is different about our leadership yeah. styles. But I do think they're different. Yeah. And it gives us with different people the ability to like we switch who's good cop and bad cop all the time, depending yeah. on like who oh, the person is that we're talking about. So true. <laughs> and sometimes it's just like whoever got there first has to be good cop and like whoever shows up second has to be bad cop. Yeah. Totally. <laughs> I think sometimes that happens. But it's nice but, to have the ability to go either way, that we're not so set in our roles that one of us always has to be bad cop because yeah. that can be exhausting. So you know, yeah. it keeps us on our toes. <laughs> so is it like, you know, the like say Molly, you're dealing with a situation with uh, an actor or a tech person or something like that, and you're being good cop, uh-huh. and all of a sudden Lily walks in, do you turn around and go, 
I feel like usually she can like tell from like what my shoulders are doing how much help I need. But I also don't feel like we've really hit that many situations with the people we work with. I feel like a lot of the time it's like signing contracts or like finagling rehearsal space where you're like, no, I will not pay for this rehearsal because like these people next door blasted music and we couldn't actually rehearse. And it's like, someone needs to send the nice email and then someone has to like get on the phone. <laughs> wow. You know, I'm sorry if I'm like forcing you to give away all your secrets here. No. It's okay. I'm just going to ask you to edit it out. Like oh, okay. <laughs> That's fine. No. Um, is, what is the next project that you're actually working on if you're comfortable talking about it right now. I mean, the honest truth is that, like, we, we're we not at a place yet of having our, our spring 2018 season locked down yet. We're in mm-hmm. very early talks about what the old play might be. Um, and so I won't tell you what we're thinking, but I will tell you that part of the reason we don't know for sure is that we're sort of caught on the hamster wheel of trying to get um, translation rights. So this is the first play we're talking about doing. This mystery play is the first play we're talking about doing that is not in the public domain. So yeah. <laughs> that's wow. taken us. That's, you know, that's part of the, the hold up there. But yeah. yeah, I won't say what it is because I have to keep you guessing. Well, it'll be really good. Yeah. Wow. And, and so are you also at the same time? Because you know what the play is. But... Well, we know what we want it to be. Yeah. We're, we'll we know see. what we'd like. Okay, so you, you know what you'd like the play to be. Yeah. So are you also in... We're thinking about writers, too. The, okay, so We're trying writer. to figure out who feels like the right writer to write in response. The right writer to write in response, yeah. To write the modern response <laughs> yeah. play. Yeah. Okay. And also the right writer to translate. The translation. Okay. Yeah. I know. This is how it works with us. It's like a lot of moving pieces. <sighs> And then yeah. suddenly they all come into clarity at the same moment, and then yeah. we immediately hit the ground running, and we don't stop until the shows are open. Yeah. Well, I think you're both fabulous <laughs> and, and, and incredible, and um, your schedule would definitely flatten me, for <laughs> sure. And I think mean, I'm busy, and I'm, I'm, I'm really... I'm, but it, it's just wonderful and, and inventive, and it's, it's just really cool. Um, now, before I ask you to give your social media information... Um, do you want to play a speed round with me? What's that What's mean? Speed round? I'm going to ask you <laughs> a question, and you just answer really fast. Okay. Oh, my God. Okay, great. I'm really First bad at these things. Doing. But, yeah, I'm okay. totally game. Let's try I it. tipped you off a little bit oh, in your okay. outline. Okay? Oh, but that's okay. okay. I guess I... Okay, you ready? <laughs> Should have reread my outline right before yeah. I got here. Yeah? <laughs> okay. Okay. <laughs> okay, so Molly and then Lily. Or yeah. Lily, do you want to go first and then Molly? I mean, do you want me to go first? Sure. Okay. Lily goes, Lily goes I mean, first. Okay. Am I going to have different questions or the same no, questions? No, you have the same questions. Oh, okay. great. Yeah, I totally want to go second. That <laughs> okay. actually might be worse, though. Yeah. Okay. What's your favorite play? Uh, my favorite play is, I guess I'd say, An Octoroon, which we already talked about today. Okay. Is that true? Oh, I need to go right now. Sorry, I thought she was going all of hers first. Oh my god, what's my favorite play? I love Our Town. I know it's cheesy as all get out, but like, I just, I love that play. Very, very common answer, by the way. Yeah, I know. I'm so boring. No, that's okay. No, (laughs) I'm saying it's popular. I should say it's a very popular answer. Okay, favorite musical? My favorite musical is Sunday in the Park with George. Oh, that's such a classy answer. Mine's <laughs> classy so much tackier. <laughs> Actually, I mean, I don't know. I, I change every so often. I mean, like, hair will always hold a deep place in my heart, but right now I'm, like, really fixating on Brigadoon. Okay. I also really love Camelot. Oh, can I change my answer? Can it be Camelot? Sure. <laughs> Great. Sure. 
right, this cool. is very stressful, can't you tell? Oh, that's okay. You're doing great. Okay, nice. Wonderful. Don't worry about it. It's all good. Okay, your favorite writer? My favorite writer. I don't, okay. I don't have one favorite writer because okay, I'm lucky enough to be a new play director. And so my favorite writer, I have like a small handful of best okay, friends. Okay, let's say none of the people that you work with, just your favorite writer that's in the canon, as you say. My favorite writer in the like contemporary canon? Sure. Can I say, can I say Tony Kushner? Absolutely. Great. Anton Chekhov. Oh, yeah. Oh, there you go. All right. <laughs> Do you want to change your answer now? Well, I just feel like Molly's <laughs> reminding me of everything that I love. <laughs> I got you with the learner and low, too, huh? Well. <laughs> okay, so who's your favorite director? Annie Kaufman. Okay. I don't think I have one. I think that, like, directors and plays are so, I, it's, like, about the collaboration for me. Okay. I don't think I can answer that. All right, that's fine. And mentor. Who's your mentor? I don't think I would say that I have a mentor, but Margot Bordelon, who's a, like incredible director, has been very good to me and taught me a lot. Um, and I now I feel like we're more friends because I've stopped assisting her. Uh, a friend tour. A friend tour. <laughs> but she's amazing. She like really. I like use. Can, can we trademark that word? <laughs> friend tour. Friend tour. Absolutely. Okay. It's kind Absolutely. of. It sounds like a type of dinosaur though. To right. Me. <laughs> um, yeah, friend tour. Uh, yeah, she's been really good to me and taught me a lot. And to this day, I use her tablework methods. Um, and she's really helped me through some stuff. Excellent. Lily? Yeah, I mean, I sort of messed up because Annie Kaufman is one of my favorite directors. And also, I'm, like, lucky enough to have assisted her. And she is um, she's also a mentor of mine. So she's on the list. Um, a woman named Peron Yusufzada, who's an amazing director, um, who I've also assisted a handful of times and can talk to about anything in a rehearsal process or a life process um, <laughs> those two probably together cover most of my mentorship needs <laughs> that's great yeah I'm very lucky well I think a mentor is is someone who not only helps you with the the creative task or business or sports or whatever it is they're mentoring you on but helps in the application of that when it comes to dealing with it in real life yeah. And helps you totally. helps you survive and get to the struggles because we struggle so much in this business. It's just highs and lows, big time. Totally. Um, okay, great. Now, before we go, give our audience all your social media information, including information about Two Headed Rep. Okay, so we are on Instagram as Two Headed Rep. We are on Facebook as Two Headed Rep. So you should just search those on both of those platforms. We don't have a Twitter. We don't have, well, we do have a Twitter, but we don't tweet. because We have a hard time keeping ourselves to 144 characters. Yeah, we have a lot to say is. if you haven't gathered. Um, <laughs> we also have a website, twoheadedrep.com. Uh, if you go to the contact page there, you can uh, sign up for our mailing list, which we recommend you do. That's how you can hear about our plays. It's how you get discount codes if we're ever sending them out, how you'll be invited to our events or hear about any sort of exciting stuff that's happening for us in the press. So we would absolutely recommend you go there and sign up for that. Um, yeah, and just, you know, keep tabs on our website because every once in a while something new will pop up about every six months. <laughs> there'll be a new poster on the homepage with our new <laughs> plays. <laughs> They've done eight plays and then I don't know if you caught that about ten minutes ago, but they added how many short plays into your... Six? Six short plays. Six short plays, yeah. So the idea is that now probably twice a year we'll do these, these fun sort of short play parties 
as well as our normal programming. But we only produce those. We don't direct those too. Yeah, we ask. We let smarter people direct them. <laughs> well, that's that's. I, honestly, <laughs> now I'm speechless. Because we're going to do this. We're going to do this. You know, twice a year, and then we're going to do this twice. A year. It's 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 amazing. And we have to plan our birthday party once a year. Yes, and don't forget your friend's date. Yes. Your yes. friend's yes. date. There's now. no discussion of Only French fries. Only French fries and discussion of friendship. Yeah. Okay. It never actually goes that way, <laughs> but the goal is French fries. It's aspirational. And discussion of friendship only. Yeah. <laughs> that's, that's amazing. Well, ladies, you have been such great guests. Thank you very much for being on the show. Thanks Thank for having, having us. Oh, good, good. I, I, it's my pleasure. I mean, you've been informative, and <laughs> I love your formula, and you've got great energy, and you get along and everybody likes just We really do. We do get along. That's, it's fascinating. That's, that helps. <laughs> Some, someday, like on your 10th season, mm-hmm. somebody's going to have to write a play about that. About the fact that we get along? About, about YouTube, us? yes. Aww, that's so cute. Yeah. Well, I feel like, I don't know, I feel like Lily and I were pitched against each other in an environment that was either going to like make us best friends or worst enemies very quickly. And I'm very glad that that this way yeah I think we chose this yeah because we like totally. each other so. yeah yeah I'm gonna cry I'm gonna cry don't cry it's a happy story <laughs> I only cry with happy stories oh good. good well ladies again thank you very much you were awesome thank, thank you. you oh it was my pleasure now at the end of each show I like to give shout outs to current productions worth a recommendation and in this particular episode I'm doing a peer recommendation of the highest order that peer being my husband, David Lieber. Now, I've been called uh, to travel quite a bit lately on, on other things that I'm involved with in my life, and uh, David happily took my place in seeing this particular show. That show being a show called Tomorrow in the Battle by Kieran Berry, making its NYC premiere. It's being produced by Stripped Scripts. And if that name sounds familiar, it's because I interviewed the Stripped Scripts founders Allison, Allison Threadgood and resident director Tana Sawa. And you thought your name was tough to say? Yeah. <laughs> Tana Sawa on episode 30 of this show. Now here's a description. What are the consequences when the lies we tell ourselves become the reality of the lives we lead? The tale of obsession and betrayal. Tomorrow in the Battle paints a searing portrait of loyalty and lust, honor and honesty, duty and desire as a group of London's elite navigate their own professional and moral crisis. 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 And, <laughs> and that sounds like a, like such a, a, a delicious, like kind of soapy, incredible show. Um, David loved the performances and the direction which was incorporated into the intimacy of the venue very, very well, he said, and very much enjoyed the dynamics of of the writing with its unique narrative style. Apparently it's one of those shows where everybody does a lot of monologues and they're talking to each other but they're not talking directly at each other. He said it was really cool to watch. So, Tomorrow on the Battle plays at Theater 511 here in New York City, closes on October 28th, so make sure you get tickets. You can visit www.strippedscripts.com, that's www.strippedscripts.com, for tickets and information. Well, folks, the proverbial 11 o'clock number has been sung and the bows have been taken, so it's time to lower the curtain. I'd like to thank my guests, the sensational Molly Clifford and Lily Riopelle. <laughs> I got it right, right? Yes. Yay, three times. Awesome. <laughs> now, you can find more episodes of your program is your ticket at 
Facebook.com backslash your program is your ticket. I'm on Twitter at, at program ticket. The website is your program is your ticket.com. Remember, I'm on iTunes and SoundCloud. Uh, please rate me, write me reviews, subscribe, all that stuff that helps me to hide um, my profile. Um, and I'd appreciate that. Well, take a little time to see a show this week. Don't forget to give a smaller show, or in this case, shows, some love. There's lots of great theater gems out there. Until our next show, be like theater people and encouragement. Your program is your ticket. Your program is your ticket. Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theatre Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theatre professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the RISE Theater Directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E.org because only together we rise. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on Chumbacasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at Chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's Chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.